Blog Talk Radio.
evening, everyone, and welcome. Thank you, thank you, thank you all for tuning in. This is T-Love, your host here at Energy Awareness Radio. I am a Reiki master and certified sound therapist with a private practice in Sussex County, New Jersey, where we are streaming to you live as we do every Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Our chat room is open, so please feel free to join the discussion that's already happening online. We do keep an eye on the chat room, so if you have a question, post it, and we'll do our best to get your question on air. Now, as an alternative, for those of you who are on the go and you can't continue to listen online, just call us directly by dialing 347-202-0227, and that way you can listen via phone, or please, please, please use your Bluetooth if you are driving around. Learning to live happily after the experience of a devastating loss is very challenging. I know I myself have friends who have lost husbands or partners, and though they are highly intelligent women, grief is not discriminatory. It doesn't matter what level of education you have or how successful you are. When you experience a loss, your entire life shifts in that nanosecond. No matter how prepared you may think you are, you know your life will never be the same. And a million questions come up from the initial, why me? What now? How will I go on? What do I do with myself? To should I continue to wear my wedding ring? It's been a while. Why don't I feel better? And is it okay to start dating? My guest tonight is Carol Brody Fleet, founder and CEO of Widows Wear Stilettos Incorporated. Widely recognized as a leader and expert in the areas of grief and loss recovery, Carol is a regular guest on national and international TV and radio shows. She's been featured in many magazines, newspapers, websites, and is the recipient of the Embrace Life Award from State Farm Insurance Companies and the Board of Directors Outstanding Service Award from the Soaring Spirits Loss Foundation. And she is graciously joining us tonight to talk about her most recent book, Happily Even After a guide to getting through and beyond the grief of widowhood. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, Carol. I know how busy you are. I appreciate your time. How are you being this evening? I'm doing great, T. How are you doing on the East Coast? No, it's great. It's rainy here now. It was good the last two days. Now it's rainy and cold again. <laughs> uh, would, would it be bad to tell you that in Southern California it's sunny and 80 degrees? Would that be terrible? No. No, because I know you'll send it our way, and I look forward to getting it. That's right. You bet we will. Oh, my goodness. Oh, you know, your book is is amazing because it's so comprehensive. Um, I remember a few years ago a friend of mine lost her husband totally, totally, totally unexpectedly, Mm -hmm. and she called a mutual friend and said, will you call T and ask her if she'll help me? And, of course, I did, and I didn't know why that phone call took place until – she had said to me, you know, four months ago, T, we were sitting in your kitchen having a conversation, and you were talking about how I just don't understand how women don't know what's going on financially or with insurance or stocks, how they don't get involved. Why did they allow – why is there such a separation? And it was me and, and three of my friends, and she was one of them. And she's a CPA, and she just sat there. And then she said, I, I asked our, our other friend if she would call you because – I feel like it just came back and bit me in the butt. And I said, yeah, I understand what you mean. And I did say to her, you know, this is very personal stuff that you want me to help you with. Are you sure you don't want someone? And she said, no, I don't want someone else. I I can't do that. And I learned an awful lot through that process. And I thought to myself, somebody should write a book. Now, this was in (laughs) 2000. 
Yeah, and when your book came across my desk, I said, well, I'll be damned. Somebody did. <laughs> Somebody wrote like, a book. <laughs> that's really, really good because it's so hard. And you touch on, I mean, your book is soup to nuts. You touch on everything, and it's so thoroughly informative. I was wondering if you would mind sharing your story and telling our listeners what inspired you to write Happily Even After. Of course. Well, uh, starting with my own story, uh, going back to 1998, I was a, a pretty normal wife leading a pretty normal life. Uh, my husband, Mike, was a 28-year veteran of the Santa Ana, California Police Department, uh, which is code for saying he was never home. Uh, mm-hmm. um, our daughter, Kendall, at the time was nine years old. She was very busy being a nine-year-old girl. Those of you listeners with children, I don't have to explain that to you. Um, I had just uh, retired from 15 years in the legal profession, which is where I come from by education and degree, uh, to pursue a very successful career in the cosmetics industry. And I was very fortunate to enjoy success there. And that's where life was for us when Mike was diagnosed with ALS. That's more commonly known as Lou Gehrig's disease. For those who are not familiar with that illness, it comes under the umbrella of muscular dystrophy. They don't know what causes it. There is no cure. And as the doctor put it to us, it is 100% fatal. There is no remission. There's no treatment. Uh, There is really nothing to do except learn how to completely redesign your life because life as you know it ends with that diagnosis. And I dramatically shifted from wife to caregiver and to sole breadwinner. Our nine-year-old, for want of a better expression, was watching her daddy die by inches. Mm -hmm. And at the center of it all was this very vital, physical, uh, always-on-the-go man who knew that he was never going to be as good tomorrow as he was today. And it became an exercise in what won't I be able to do tomorrow. And Mike battled just incredibly courageously for just over two years, and uh, his battle came to an end in December of 2000. And with his battle coming to an end began my new life as a widow and my daughter's new life as a child without a parent. And together we navigated a road to recovery. I made a lot of mistakes, (laughs) which is a whole other show. And uh, probably a whole other book. And uh, along the way, I figured out, you know, I, I'm looking for answers to questions. And I not only can't I find the answers, but I'm afraid to ask some of these questions. Because you've read the book, T. Some of yep. the questions that widows have are things that might cause people to raise their eyebrows. But you have to be able to discuss these things. And that was really kind of where the, the whole etiology for the first book came It was a desire to take our experience and use it to the good by helping others, which was one of Mike's dying wishes. He didn't want to be remembered for an illness. And it was also really creating something that I could not find myself. And it it really has taken off from there and turned into a wonderful, incredible community and mission. You know, I'm, I'm just going to call you out on one thing when you said I made a lot of mistakes. No, you didn't. It was a learning curve. If you don't know, oh, you're not okay. I like that mistakes. better. I like that yeah. better. I you're, like that much better. It's not mistakes, for goodness sake. You, to me, when I read your story, I thought, oh, my God, she started the grieving process with that diagnosis, and it's just and a waiting you. game. Thank you so much for recognizing that. That is so important. 
listeners, listen to what T just said. When you receive a catastrophic diagnosis, either for yourself or for a loved one, your grieving process begins at that moment. It does mm-hmm. not begin with the physical departure of that person. You, that, it, that diagnosis is where the grieving process starts. So that is such a huge thing to point out because too many people don't realize that. Oh, no, it was blatantly apparent to me. I, I work in a lot of hospice situations, so I see a lot of mm-hmm. stuff myself, and it might not be personal, and sometimes I let it get personal, which they teach you, you know, don't let anything get personal. Oh, well, sometimes it happens. <laughs> you, you know, know what? My when uh, when Kendall was 16 years old, and uh, when we went live as an organization in 2006, we started getting thousands of letters, and that that continues to this day. And mm. this is right at the beginning. And I was reading a letter, and I was just sitting in front of the computer, just crying and crying. And Kendall came in, and she looked at the letter, and I said, "Oh my gosh!" And how am I going to do this? And she said, "You can be affected." but you can't be invested. And I thought that that was a – well, first of all, what 16-year-old talks like that? Yeah, really. (laughs) But but more to the point, see, because if if I don't get – if you don't get personal to to some level, for me anyway, I can't be effective in helping somebody. On the other hand, if you become invested, you've just rendered yourself useless to the people Mm -hmm. you help. So – can I can I get personal and care and and get down with you know and and talk to people on a personal level about their stories? Absolutely. But once I become invested and I turned into a sobbing mess, they are now trying to lean on a bundle of cooked spaghetti, and and you don't want I I don't want that either. So I kind of. You know, when, when they when when you are told, and I've been told it too, you can't get personal. You can't get personal. That's mm-hmm. I think that's too absolute for me. I think that there is a line that you can tow. I agree, and I like the way that you're putting that. So right back at you. Just for chat here, you know, you like, yeah. okay, it's a learning curve. I like this. because yeah, I love the you, learning curve thing. That makes me feel you just erased, like, 12 years of guilt. I could feel the guilt coming across. I'm like, oh, my God, she thinks she made a mistake. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Cut yourself in slack. Uh, you know, you, you follow again. Well, like you know, you know this. This process does not come with an instruction manual either. You know, the process while Mike was battling, and the and the widowhood journey afterwards. And one of the first uh, learning curves that I <laughs> experienced was trying to shield Kendall from the gravity of the situation. I, I you know, and you, I realized later on that when you do that. Uh, the child becomes tense. They become very unsettled. They don't trust what you're saying. Yeah, uh, there are uh, yeah there are they are there are age appropriate ways to deal with things. So that was one of my earlier learning curves. I have mm-hmm. others, but that was one of the earlier. Well, yeah. so when I when I made mistakes, it was because you as parents we instinctively want to shield our children from pain, and sure. this is the worst pain of all. Uh, the worst pain of all. So that was, I feel, uh, a, a learning curve. <laughs> uh, it was not possibly the the correct route that that I should have taken. But at, on the other hand, you 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 go with your instincts at at that moment in time. You know what? And and I'm going to say I think it was the correct route for you to take because I really believe that 
that she came in to you, you and Mike had her, so that she could experience this experience and help you through it and learn from it so she could grow to be in who she's supposed to be on her journey. So therefore, when I look at things a little differently sometimes, uh, when I look at it that way, I think, you know what, kids know they have an instinct and they have a feeling and they know and you do try to protect them from pain or hurt or worry because what are we going right. to do, you know, right. and I get all that, but the fact that she came up with that, you know, you you, you don't have to get personal. Well, you, you can get personal, but you can't get invested. She's right. 16 years old, you know, and and I know you jokingly said she's a freak. She's very. Yes, I, I told her. <laughs> I, I said, what, what 16-year-old talks like that? And she just kind of shrugged and walked out and went back to MTV or whatever. But um, I, I'm sorry? Because she, she learned a lot. And she's very astute. That was a very profound thing to say. I give her a lot of credit for saying that because I think she learned a lot through the process. And, she did, and it and, did, you know, not, none of us want our children to experience anything remotely close to what she had to see and what she had to experience. But that said, it made her a, it's made her a much stronger person. Yeah. It uh, oh, yeah. certainly gives her a greater appreciation of life. Um, and she, to this day, uh, has absolutely no tolerance for anybody slamming their parents or saying, I hate my mom or I hate my dad. She will just quietly look at them and say, do you get how lucky you are? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, there there was uh, a, a a strength and character builder for both mm-hmm. of us in, oh, yeah. in that experience. Because the, the fact is is that most of us, A, have a really weird definition of stress. I didn't even realize, even today, when a doctor says, well, are you stressed? Not to compared to 15 years ago. Um, and then secondly, most of us never get to really realize the depth of our strength and the depth of our metal. And, again, I would never have signed up for this test. Right. But having gone through it, I, it's wonderful to be able to look at my, my new husband or any of my loved ones or friends and say, you know what, if the going gets tough, I won't cut and run. I will be here and we can get through this and have a confidence in 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 feeling that because I've done it. Yeah. Yeah, and you did it twice. <laughs> you got, no, really, you did. You got the diagnosis and started the grieving process and right. that took time and then you had to do it all again when everything was complete. So you That's really right. did do it twice. There's no doubt in my mind that you went through this twice. The first part, he was there and you had to watch it, which is horrifying. It's, horrific. It's, I don't even know what word to use. There isn't there, there one. There is no there is no yeah. adjective on this earth yeah. that can describe this illness. And one of the um one of the the cruelest tricks. I mean, uh, the 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 indignities of this illness are many. But one of the cruelest tricks is your brain, your mind is never affected at all. You are razor sharp. You can't communicate, you can't feed yourself, you can't dress yourself, you can't bathe, you can't mind yourself in the bathroom. You can you can scarcely breathe, but your mind is absolutely clear, 1,000%. As the man was going into a coma, he was telling me what he wanted to wear for his funeral. Yep. I mean, your mind is, you are right there. And to me, that's cruel, to be yeah. absolutely aware of what's going on, and you have no power to stop it. I I don't know how much worse it could be than that. Yeah, that's that is a, a very cruel, cruel thing. It is. And I I know a lot of people have gone through 
situations like that or there's been an accident that has taken away their person and and that's really really difficult but and at that time like i said before there's no way i don't care how much time you have there's no way to prepare for any of you just can't you can't because when it hits you it's a sucker punch thank you for saying that because even uh, the people who deal with the long-term illness or infirmity that results in death constantly hear well, at least you were prepared. Oh, it's I It's not hate like that. you didn't know it was coming. And the, 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 here's the thing. You, the only thing you can be prepared with is paperwork. You can, right. You can right. get your ducks in a row. That is, the, that is the advantage that the people who experience the sudden loss do not have. But when they say you have time to prepare, what that, what that phrase does is that, and remember, you're talking to someone who's grieving, they're not completely all there in their head. They're trying to sort things out. What they hear from you is, well, they're right. I knew it was coming. I don't have any business mourning. Right. I don't have exactly. a right to be in grief. You have just taken away their right to grieve. Yep. That's not okay. They no. are in just as much shock as the as, person as, who lost yep. their, their, their beloved suddenly. Yep. And, you know, this is huge to you. I know that. And I I read it in your book. And and I've been to a lot of funerals. Everybody probably has. And people don't use their filter. Maybe they're not thinking. I don't know what it is. But this is the time to really be present and in the moment and not say stupid things. And, you know, (laughs) it it is. Some of the stupid things that people say, the the one that I hear a lot is, well, you know, they're in a better place, right? And I think, oh, "Oh my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, if you really want to get a widowed person riled up, tell tell them that, that, that their beloved is in a better place. Because, mm-hmm. what, again, what we think things that we don't say. And what we are thinking <laughs> when, when someone says that is, what better place was there than with me? Exactly. Okay, and it, it doesn't matter how spiritual the person is. I'm a spiritual person. I'm born and raised Jewish. I am a practicing Jew, and I absolutely believe that there is something beyond today. I absolutely yep. believe that. However, when somebody talks to me about, well, this was God's will, really? Because the God, the God that I love doesn't will pain or suffering on anybody. Okay? Or cruelty. Um, right. <laughs> right. Oh, really? Or, That's you know, a big one. Yeah, the, the, the better place one, though, that is a big grievance in the widowed community. Um, and what we, what we try to do is kind of put a humorous slant on some of the things that we hear because they are because some of it is so ridiculous it does make mm-hmm. you laugh. I've seen relationships destroyed. I've seen familial and relationships and friendships destroyed because somebody said the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. And we don't want that to happen if we can avoid it. So let's laugh at it. Realize that they know not that they know not. Right. Uh, I, I, I try to educate the public on what to say and, more importantly, what not to say. And let's move on and continue our healing processes. Let's, not, let's try not to get mired down in what they're saying in the moment because most people, most, not all, but most people do mean well and they don't know what to say. And, and that's why stupid things because they're not thinking. That's it's right. A, you, you yeah, have it's a to tough moment for them, too. I'll give them that, but come on. Come well, on. Well, you know, well, I, and I'll, I'll, give, I'll give you an innocent example. Everybody has said, call me if you need anything. 
Everyone has said that. Everyone Mm -hmm. said that. It is absolutely the wrong thing to say. It's Mm -hmm. the wrong thing to say. And the reason is no one's going to pick up that phone. Because if you tell me, hey, Carol, God, this is just terrible. Call me if you need anything. My phone weighs 500 pounds, and I'm never going to pick up that 500-pound phone and say, hey, T, I really need this. Because I don't want to be a burden. I don't want to be a bother. So instead of saying that, what you say is, I'm going to pick up the kids from school for an overnight. I'm going Mm -hmm. to put groceries in your house. I'm going to bring over a heat-and-eat meal. I'm going to drop off a load of magazines on your doorstep. Be proactive. Don't wait to be asked because the phone won't ring. The call. Yeah, and and the worst part is that when something like this happens, everybody descends upon you at once. And now That's everybody's right. there for three or four days or the seven days or however long you choose to mm-hmm. sit, Shiva. And then after mm-hmm. that, guess what? Everybody's gone and it's you. They're gone. They're gone. It, it, and it, it's, just, it's instant. It's like now it's, the house is empty. Now what? That's and that's right. when and you need people to to come over and say, you want to have a cup of coffee? Let's go for a walk. Let's go to the exactly. store. Let's do grocery shopping. That's when they need you. That's exactly. when they need you for like six months to a year, just spontaneous, let's go, come on, let's go. Mm-hmm. Because that's what they need the most. People just leave and they figure, okay, well, it's over now. No, it's not. It's just starting. That's right. In fact, I heard um, after the the horrible, horrible tragedy in Newtown, mm. um, I was listening to one of the – the parents speak, and they had said that somebody told them, I'm, you know, I'm so sorry for what you've been through. And the parents said, we're still going through it. Mm-hmm. And I thought, what a brilliant observation. They don't realize how brilliant they were in that moment. But what you don't realize is for the person who is bereaved, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't end with the funeral. In fact, no. it just begins. Yeah. It really just begins. No, uh, so it's not it's not something yeah it's not something that you've been through it's a, it's a process and it does continue and the best thing that you can do as someone who is is close on someone who's bereaved is recognize that they are still going through it and create the environment where it's always going to be okay to talk about it. Yes. Don't be afraid to talk about it because I think people are afraid, well, if we talk about it, it's going to hurt her more or she's going to cry and get upset. She needs to cry. She needs to vent. She needs to get this out. And I'm not saying to quicken the grieving process. I'm saying it's a good release. It's a good release for stressed, you know, because stress is a horrible thing. And now we don't need this person to get a disease and 85% of which are induced by stress. So you might as well just get it out. But people are afraid to talk about it. It's crazy, but it's true. And that's why I think your book is so helpful on so many different levels because, I said, it runs the gamut. It's soup to nuts. You get it all in there. And, you know, it's just really, it's, it's just a wonderful book. I don't know how you found the strength to write it. Well, I I appreciate those very kind words. In fact, we're super, super proud of this. We've just gotten back from New York City. Um, Happily, even after, had been selected as a finalist for the Books for a Better Life Award. It is one of the Mm -hmm. top awards in publishing, and it recognizes excellence and self-improvement. And the award ceremony was in New York City, and happily, even after, was selected as the winner. And that was <laughs> only that. <laughs> well, that because because it just happened, T. No, okay. I mean, no. Um, in fact, when um, when we were scheduling this this wonderful time together, I was just a, a finalist at that point. So mm-hmm. we we just we just this is this is breaking news. So no, don't, so don't, yeah. <laughs> so um, I we're we're super super excited about that, and I'm thrilled 
to bring this book to the widowed community because it's unique. There's not another grief book like it no, in the genre not. at all. No. And the reason, well, the reason the book is unique is because um, it is a question and answer book, but the questions are excerpted from actual letters written mm-hmm. by real widowed people. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah and, and that's the great thing is anyone who picks up this book is not only going to find a situation that they have experienced and didn't know what to do or are in the middle of something, but the question is not written by, you know, a, a, some expert or even me. The answers are mine, obviously. But the mm-hmm. questions are written by at least one other widowed who's had the same situation. And when you realize that you're not alone in your journey and you're not alone in your challenges, that is so comforting because now you know you're not nuts mm-hmm. and you know that someone else out there is having the same problems. It's such an incredible comfort. So so much of the credit for this book goes to the, the widowed community in its entirety. There's not that, you know, widowed is not just women. It's right. men. It's uh, our, our wonderful friends in the LGBT community. It's uh, uh, what we call the unmarried widowed, fiancés, boyfriends, girlfriends, anybody who has lost the person they expected to spend the rest of their lives with. So these these questions are far-reaching, and they come from all walks, all ages, all all possible circumstances surrounding loss. And I guarantee that any widowed who picks up this book is going to find one question in there that they've had. And it doesn't matter how long the person has been widowed. And what's interesting is when you read these letters, and some of them, I mean, I can't even think of of a really good example of this now, but some of them, you can feel what they're saying to the point, I mean, I was crying. I was like, oh, my God, this person thinks that no one else is thinking this, and yet you know that you can feel that they feel alone or they feel guilty about what they're they're stating, and you know everybody else feels the same way. And I, I knew this to be true because in hospice situations, people, let's face it, you're just waiting and watching. That's all you're That's doing right. is waiting mm-hmm. and watching. It's, it's, it's a horrible way to die. Um, it, it's, um, uh, you know, I just, it's, it's horrible. And through that process, when the person passes, usually the person closest from what I have seen will look at me and they'll say something to me and I'll say, okay, lose the guilt because you feel relief. And they're like, how did you know? It's like, no, 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 this is normal. You feel relief, not because they're gone, because they're not suffering. It's well, it's that. Don't be feeling guilty for the relief that you feel. And that situation is in the book, isn't it? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. the and the what what I my answer to that was to help the person see that there is a difference between because what they do is they equate that relief with wishing that somebody were dead. Yes. And, you know, let's let's get this over with. That's already. not it. Yeah. Yep. That's yep. not it at all. Nope. You nope. are relieved that the suffering is over, and the suffering exactly. is yep. not just the patient. The, the no. suffering is it's not the just uh, uh, the patient. Everybody yeah. surrounding the patient is suffering as well. So let's get let, let's get it clear that there's a big difference between wishing that somebody were no longer with us and wishing that the suffering would come to an end. Mm-hmm. Huge yep. difference there. And you just touched on the inspiration for the book when you asked what inspired Happily Even After in the first place. Like I said, we get thousands of letters every month. And um, shortly after 
my first book, Widows Wear Stilettos, came out, um, I was talking to my agent and saying, I get so many of these letters that deal with everything, money, children, emotions, family challenges, dating, love, you, you name it, I've seen it. I, I know I have. And so many of these letters begin with, I know I'm the only one in this situation. Yes. Or, you know, <laughs> nobody else has ever had to deal with this. When you wrote exactly. that and I read that, I thought, oh, my God, these poor women, they think they're alone. And you know what that does to a person? It makes them feel guiltier. It makes them feel more like they're a bad person because nobody else is having whatever the thought is. And that is a shame. It is because there's nothing worse than feeling all alone. And then with that aloneness in your situation, you feel marginalized. You feel isolated. You feel like mm-hmm. nobody understands. Nobody. I mean, imagine, let's just take one of the scenarios. Imagine the woman who, was, who found out her husband was dead and got the call from his mistress. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. let, let's imagine that situation, and she thinks that this has never happened to anybody else ever. Mm-hmm. And I can think of countless letters that where, where just that scenario happened. And mm-hmm. in, one, in one of those cases, the mistress was fighting the wife over the estate. Now, that right. is, but that's some chutzpah right there. I gotta say, yeah. that, that <laughs> takes some nerve. You know, that's just sick. That's just sick. Um, so, um, so the the great, the first best thing, hopefully, that this book can do is reassure the reader that they're not by themselves in their experiences, in their emotions. In, uh, in the practical aspects, the financial and the legal transitioning, in further down the road when you start to date again, you fall in love, intimacy, of course, becomes a huge issue, um, you're not by yourself. And when you can give somebody a community of people who get it, mm-hmm. I, can't think of a great, I can't think of a greater gift. It's, it's vitally important. This is... It, it, this isn't what one would consider a hot topic because people don't talk about it, but it they should be because so many people it. need it. Yeah, that's the problem. You need to get yourself on shows like The View and stuff. It's crazy. But you know what, though? And, and I will I will uh, preface this by saying the media on all levels, from local right on up to national, have been absolutely wonderful in their support of Widows vs. Stilettos, what we do, what our message is, we, I, I've been inordinately blessed. Uh, and it's people like you, T, that help us get the message to people that want to hear it and need to hear it because there is one listener right now who either is or knows someone who is suffering. And if we can fix one person and help one person, we've done our job. But that said... There are shows out there. There are journalists out there who say, well, this subject is too depressing. It's too sad. Well, yeah, it is depressing. Yeah, it is sad. But first of all, it doesn't have to be. It's not all sad. I'm not a sad person. I'm sure you can hear that. And secondly, not talking about it doesn't make it go away. That's right. And and you know what? And 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 talking about it isn't contagious. You're not going to catch a severe case of death by talking about this. And you're going to help people, and well, we're, it's no hopefully different. we, hopefully we're 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 shifting that paradigm. It's no different than talking about okay, let's talk about Alzheimer's and and how that affects families and stuff. That's pretty depressing too. 
You know, that's sure. a depressing topic, but you got to talk about it. It's also not a fun topic to discuss, okay, your parents are aging, and tell us what you want us to do for you when you pass and how you want you. These are not fun topics. They are very necessary topics that need to be that's discussed. Right. And, you know, I, I mean, what was the statistic? There's like how many, 10 to 20 million, I forget what it was, how many million people are, are widowed in, in the United States and the number is rising? It's There's, crazy. Yeah, because we're living longer. The baby boomer population is aging. I'm one of those, I'm in that generation. Right. And, uh, and we are living longer. So obviously the widowed community as a whole is increasing exponentially, more to the point when I began writing the first book, I concentrated on the chronologically younger widow because I was chronologically younger yeah. when I was widowed. And, uh, no, again, this was something that nobody was talking about. Now, I, uh, when I became widowed, that was before 9-11. I was mm-hmm. widowed nine months before 9-11. It was before two U.S.-involved wars. It was before Hurricane Katrina. It was before all all these things that happened post-widowhood for me. And right. So, so you knew that the, the demographic of the chronologically younger widowed had grown tremendously. I've got, I've got 17-year-old widows in our yes. membership. I also have widows in their 90s. But we've got uh, very, very young widowed. Nobody was talking to them. Nobody was talking about it. And it just keeps us ill-prepared. When we oh, absolutely, and kudos to you for having the strength and doing this because it really is, and this is why your book won the award. It really is the only book out there in this genre. It should really be a genre of its own because nobody has tackled it in the same way. They're talking about how to go through the grieving process and what grief is, but nobody tackles the everyday practical, what you need to get through, and those things that nobody wants to discuss, those, those and, you know, quiet questions. It tackles it all. And that was my problem at the outset. I own numerous grief books, and they're wonderful books, all of them. They are. They're, they're, they're not, there's no bad books out there. But the problem that I kept running into was let's talk about grief and dealing with grief and the components of grief and loss and dealing with loss and coping with loss and the pain of loss. And I already knew how to grieve and how to lose because I'd done it. But right. how do I get my benefits from the government? And mm-hmm. how do I deal with these people that are saying idiotic things to me? And how do I help my child when I can't even get out of my penguin print flannel pajamas with the feet in them? True story. Mm-hmm. Very attractive. Yeah. How, you know, <laughs> nobody was talking about these things. I didn't need to keep putting grief under a microscope to be examined and dissected. And more to the point, T, I believe fervently that you gravitate toward what you focus on. I mm-hmm. think it is an absolute fact of physics. If you focus on something, that is the direction you're going to gravitate toward. I did not want to continue to gravitate toward grief. That wasn't right. going to facilitate a healing journey. I needed to gravitate toward proactivity and progress and rediscovery. And that's where my my vision had to be. Unfortunately, I couldn't find anything that fell in line with that. So my mantra became, if you can't find it, create it. Yes. And that was so great. You know, when when I was helping my friend go through her, and I, I was at her house every day for a week, just mm-hmm. going through paperwork and doing things. And the first day I went over, she said, okay, I pulled out some stuff. And I said, okay, what do you have? And she said, well, here's the phone number to the mortgage company. We need to call them. And I looked at her and said, oh, no, we're not calling the mortgage company. And she goes, we have to tell them. I said, 
oh, no, we are not telling the mortgage company. And she said, why? I said, are you kidding me? There's probably a clause in the mortgage that says if they find out somebody can't afford, they're going to pull the note. And your husband just died. They, they could technically pull the note. No, no, you're not getting kicked out of your house. You're staying here. They don't need to know. You can take care of it down the road. But right now, right. you are not telling them. Now, this was, her husband passed away seven months before 9-11. And so this was, she's still in the same house. Bank doesn't know. Never well, going to tell also, them. <laughs> well, and, and there's another reason for that. And, again, at a, at a time when you can't even figure out how to brush your teeth, the last thing you want to have to deal with is the business of widowhood, which is what right. I call it. Unfortunately, yep. it's one of those things that can't wait. But in that category, there are things that can wait. What you just described is one of them. The only right. thing that you need to be concerned about in the immediate is anything that is going to generate income to the household. Okay? Right. You determine what your eligibility is for different government benefits, whether it's Social Security, whether it's with the VA, whatever it is that you might be entitled to. And P.S., don't assume that you know everything. Don't assume that you're not eligible for this or that you are eligible for that. You must ask. Do your due diligence. I, have, I know so many widowed who just assumed they weren't eligible for Social Security for whatever reasons and found out, <laughs> surprise, yes, you are. Yeah. So don't assume anything. Um, life insurance policies, uh, anything from your late beloved's employer, a 401K, anything that can potentially generate income to your household, everything else can wait. Yep. Everything else can wait. Because you're not going to be selling your house the week after somebody passes away. No mm-hmm. one's going to be doing that. So you, you absolutely had it right when you said, no, you don't need to call them right now. A mortgage company is not going to generate income to... Yeah, they're not your friend. <laughs> so, and that was my thing. I said, well, let's get all the other stuff. Let's see, where's the life insurance policy? Let's see what he has for right. retirement funds. That's What's your right. stuff IRA? Let's go through that stuff. And that's why I said to her, I'm going to ask you questions, and they're going to be very personal. And mm-hmm. you may not want to deal with me. And she said, no, I trust you. And, you know, it was funny because she said, how do you know all this? I said, I, I am involved in everything that goes on in my household. I am not going to not be involved. I don't understand how you can't be. I'm not faulting you for it. I'm just saying for me, I wanted to make sure I knew and was aware of everything as best as I could be. You You have have to. to. And women should, before they get married, they should take a course along with the husband-to-be that this is how it's going to go down, you people. You both need to know because if one of you isn't there, the other one needs to know what to do. And it's irresponsible. In fact, um, I I can get kind of tough in my love for the the widow that I serve. And not everybody responds to that kind of approach to grief recovery, but I I don't want anybody to be foolish for themselves. And Mm -hmm. I do talk about this uh, in both books, is that there was a time when women – uh, did not handle the finances. They did not know what was going on in their financial house. Yeah, but that house. was eons ago. <laughs> that, was, that was in the 1960s and all eras prior. Welcome to the 21st century. Right. Ignorance is not bliss. If it ever, I always thought that was kind of a stupid phrase because I can't imagine what would be blissful about ignorance in any, in any respect. But in this respect, <laughs> certainly, ignorance is never going to be okay. And you, you can't be that person that says, I don't know where the checkbook is. Well, you're going to have a whole world of hurt. You know, whose names are on the mortgage? Are the right words on the right. mortgage? We, I learned that. Again, that was a learning curve for me. Yep. Unfortunately, yep. that learning curve 
happened after Mike passed away. And we had property in California, which automatically passed to me, and there was no issues there, but we also own property in Texas. And in Texas, if you don't have certain verbiage on the, on the mortgage, on the deed itself, the will has to be probated. And I didn't. I didn't have any rights to sell that property. And you know what? I couldn't. Get, I couldn't yell into the next room for Mike's help. Right. So that was a learning curve. See, I'm using your using your terms. <laughs> um, you learned um, it. <laughs> yeah. You don't. We do not, ladies. We don't have the luxury of being ignorant and just giving it all to him and letting him sort it out. There, we we, we don't have that luxury. Um, I remarried in 2009 to a wonderful, wonderful man. And he knows everything financially that goes on in this house from my end and vice versa because yep. um, he uh, he moved here from England, so he's still getting used to the whole United States way of doing things. And so I really have to walk him through certain certain things, like the Social Security system, for example. But he yep. knows where everything is. And if anything, God forbid, happened to me, all he would have to do is pick up a phone. It would be that easy, and again, vice versa. I know well, everything that's going on with him. You it's funny because to. I, I told a couple of other people. They were like, "Well, he. I mean, would you be prepared?" I said, "If anything happened, I'd pull a file. I know that file tells me what to do. That file tells me where. It's like a directory of where everything is, an index of where everything is that I need to know who I need to call and what I need to do. I just that's think right. it's something that you need to do. Now, you talked about tough love, and it's it's uh, you know when I, I was dealing with this woman, and as I said, I was with her for like a week, going to her house every day, and toward the end of the week, I said to her, you know, y- you need to stop doing what you're doing and get into the business of this and understand it because you're the adult now. And she said, oh, I don't want to be. And I said, oh, but you are. And she yeah, said, oh, that's the problem. I, I don't want to be. And I said, well, see, that's not, you don't have a choice. You have two little girls, and they need a mom, and you need to be the adult, and this is what you need to do. And we had this discussion for probably, I don't know, a couple of hours, and then her mother came over, and I said, I'm not trying to be cruel here, but you got to step up. You don't have a choice. That's and she right. got it. She got uh, it, but that, she didn't. Like, I've, I've, you know, I've, in, in the thousands of people, that I meet and that I work with. I've never had one widow step up to me and say, you know what, I am ready to do this. I yeah, was okay. absolutely ready, and I, I was just stepped into the role. Nobody wants to. Nobody is ready for it. Uh, again, there's no such thing as being prepared except right. with what we're talking about now. And that's kind of a, it's kind of an ancillary education that I like to provide is, okay, you're widowed. What what does your financial house look like? Do you have life insurance? Do you have a will? Do you know where everything is? Are you going to make your loved ones go on a scavenger hunt? It's right. not okay. Just because there's a file that may be indexing this is all the stuff we own and this is what we have and this is where everything is and this is how the insurance is made up doesn't mean you can do it either. It just means you have a file and now you need somebody there who has a brain because I'm sorry, when these people pass, all of a sudden you don't have a brain because you can't function. You can't. No, you You're go, brain. that's right, that's right. You, you go, go into, into, like, you go into like, a fog. Yeah, it's a stalling mode. It's like the computer is not kicking on. It's just stopped that's where right. it was. You need mm-hmm. somebody to help. I don't care how many files there are. You need someone to help you to go through it because you cannot. You cannot do it alone. And your book, if someone did have to do it alone, it really would help. It's like a guidebook. It really would help to get the person. And I'm saying once they've gone through, you know, not day one. I don't think you read no. books this 
on day one, you know. But it no, is and a it's not of, meant to. Do, yeah, it's not right, meant to do exactly. that. The only the only elements of either one of the books that a widowed needs on day one is the business. That's all yes. they need. <laughs> And then put it away until you start hearing the stupid things that people say, because they will. Or you need to know with, you know, to do with your, your emotions right now, today, this week, because the, the newness of widowhood is also addressed in there. You do not need to know how to dress for a first date when you're a brand-new widow. It talks about that in the book, but you don't yeah. need that. That's not what the book is for. It's not something that you sit down and read cover to cover. It is written and meant as a reference guide. So when you get to these different seminal points on your healing journey, you have a question or you've run into a tough situation, you can pick up the book and you can go to dealing with children that are acting out, uh, dealing with adult kids who don't approve of your dating, um, you know, how to, how to cook for fewer than, uh, than the people that you had in your house before. You, th- mm-hmm. Things like that. But no, none of that stuff is necessary on the first day, but the business stuff is. The business yep, stuff is to. because the business can't wait. The generation yeah, income cannot wait. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Now, as I mentioned in the introduction, you are the founder and CEO of Widows Wear Stilettos, which is a really catchy title, and I would think, I would think that it would bring a smile to the face of of some who really just don't have any other reason to smile and that it actually Aww. would kind of help them. How did that organization come to be and what inspired that name? Well, the inspiration for the name, believe it or not, came from a moment at my late husband's funeral. Uh, as ludicrous as it sounds, mm-hmm. I had several moments of lucidity that day, only a few, but I, I did. And, you know, again, like we were talking about at the top of the show, when you are dealing with a long-term illness, your focus is on survival. You are not thinking about widowhood. You are not thinking about that moment in time. Right. And as we were, and his funeral was very, very large. There were a thousand people there because he was a very high-profile oh, police officer. He was a policeman, yeah. Yes, and he was he was actually a national record holder in the seizure of drugs and drug money for an individual mm. officer. And so there were, I, I mean, it was a very traditional. A police officer funeral. There were representatives from every government agency, from local to national levels that you can imagine, uh, mm-hmm. from the FBI, from the FBI and DEA and ATF, all the way down to the paramedics that used to respond to our house. God bless them. So it was very large, very grand, and I was sitting graveside, staring at a flag draped coffin, holding the hand of a then 11-year-old girl. We're staring at this coffin, and it's an out-of-body experience entirely. You feel like it's happening to someone else. And and the honor guard was preparing the flag, which Mm. is presented to the widow. It was the very first time that that word entered my psyche, and it dawned on me that that is who I am now. I am a widow. Now, understanding that I am a grief-stricken, absolutely out-of-my-mind widow, the next thought that came into my head was, I can't be a widow. I wear five-inch heels. <laughs> I can't. This isn't me. I, I drink lemon drop martinis. I, mm-hmm. I yell at the Dallas Cowboys on television. I listen to heavy metal and 70s disco music. Um, you know, I, 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 I don't remember. I wasn't at Woodstock, but I watched it on TV. Um, <laughs> you know, I, people like me aren't widows. Widows are in their 80s, and they go on cruises, and they talk about the Depression, and 
you know, how the good old days. Right. And Shannon and bread lines, I, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and my good old days were the 70s, you know. And so mm-hmm. it just, the, 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 the stereotype image of widow was what I was wrestling with. And, of course, I've worked very hard ever since to shatter that stereotype. But that's where the the title Widows Wear Stilettos came from. It was my way of saying we're here too, and we're, there's a face, and we're, we're, we don't want to hide in the shadows and be ashamed and embarrassed and marginalized anymore. And I really intended it to be one book, maybe help a couple of people, and go away. Um, the, it, it took on such a momentum from literally day one that we grew into the organization that we are now. And... We welcome everybody, regardless of age, gender, your technical marital status, the circumstances surrounding the death of your beloved, your sexual orientation. We don't care. We're here to help you. Uh, We have a national in-person support group program. We have a charitable foundation that we've set up to hopefully help uh, the widowed in three primary areas of need. And uh, we are we're growing by leaps and bounds continually. That on its face sounds depressing because if people come to us, it's not a happy time. Right. But I like to I like to think that it's a wonderful thing because these people might otherwise be suffering alone and in silence. And sure, they have no place else to go. So you're right. providing a place for them to go. Right. And I can't I can't bear the thought of somebody feeling alone because I remember that feeling, mm-hmm. and I don't want anybody to ever feel that. And the, and this is a safe place where you can be angry or sad or confused or you can laugh. I mean, there are jokes in the widow community that not a lot of people would understand, mm-hmm. uh, but we do. Um, I I thought it was I was so cute. I saw a widow wearing a T-shirt saying, "My husband went to heaven," and all I got was this lousy T-shirt. <laughs> a lot of people would not see the humor in that, but we get it, and yeah. uh, that is. The most important thing I can convey is you don't have to do this alone. You don't have to be quiet about it. And there are, you know, hundreds of thousands of people waiting to put their arms around you. And, you know, I, I know I've seen been in situations where I've seen a widow go right off the deep end and start screaming and yelling at you, SOB, I'm so mad at you, I'm angry, I hate you, why did you leave me? And I remember one situation, the woman looked at me, she says, you must think I'm awful. And I said, no, get it out. You need to get it out. I'd be pissed too. And she was just like, oh, really? I, and I said, yeah. You know, there's a there's a story in, um, I believe it's in Happily, uh, even after, um, where I was in the dating world. And that's a whole other show. And, <laughs> uh, and, I, and it, was, uh, it was not a successful date. I'll just bottom line it. And I came home, and I've just spent three hours of my life. I've wasted time, energy, and makeup. And you've you probably see my picture. You know that I take makeup seriously. And I came, I came home. I threw my shoes across the room, and I started screaming at Mike. Now, at that mm-hmm. point, Mike had been gone for six or seven years. And I said, Fleet, how could you do this to me? Are you laughing right now? I know you're laughing at me, and I'm screaming at, at Mike for putting me back into the world of dating. And mm-hmm. I know he was laughing. But mm-hmm. that is a very normal and natural thing to do is how could you do this to me? How could you put me back out there where I have to deal with jerks and idiots and, you know, I this is not what I'm supposed to be doing at my age. 
And, um, and you know, happily a year and a half later, um, I met my now husband, and I don't have to deal with that world anymore. But uh, but I do teach about it. And, yeah. uh, and and so, yeah, it's absolutely normal to scream and yell and blame your late beloved from everything from the weather to uh, the extra 10 pounds you've gained to, <laughs> to being in the dating world. It's normal because you do feel a sense of abandonment, and you feel that that's irrational to feel that way. But it's mm-hmm. still, but just because uh, just just because it feels irrational doesn't mean it is. It doesn't right. mean that you're crazy. It doesn't mean you're not normal. We just need to learn how to deal with that and continue moving forward. And there's just so much that people think they must be the only one that feels these certain ways, and so they don't want to mention it. But your book brings it to light and allows people to know that, oh, my gosh, I thought that too, or I'm thinking that as well. or And it makes them feel like, okay, I am normal. This is okay. I'm not going off the, the goal. deep end. That is the mm-hmm. goal. I knew that was the goal for you. I cannot believe that we are almost at the top of the hour, Carol. Oh, it before, is. <laughs> I know. It was crazy good. <laughs> but before we say goodbye, just tell our listeners how they can find out more about you and your work and where they can purchase your book and anything else that you want to put forth. Okay. Well, first of all, the best and fastest way to find us is at widowswearstilettos.com. We're also on Facebook at Widows Wear Stilettos. So please visit us at both places and, and join up and, and be part of the, the community and the conversation. Both books, Happily Even After, which just won the Books for a Better Life Award, and yep. Widows Wear Stilettos, which is celebrating its fourth year on the national bestseller list. Both of those books are available at Amazon. They're at all of your uh, in-person brick-and-mortar bookstores. They're at all major bookstores online. Uh, coming up is a lot of excitement. We are partners in a program called Camp Widow. There's one on the East Coast that's taking place next week in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. There's a Camp mm. Widow on the West Coast in San Diego, California. All of that information is at the website. I'm also appearing at the National Fallen Firefighters Conference this weekend in Phoenix, Arizona. And that conference is for anyone, not just widows, but anyone who has lost a firefighter in the line of duty. Please check them out at firehero.org. They're a phenomenal organization. And then after that, I'm going to sleep. That was cute. Yes, and you'll need to get some rest. And I just want to say that this book, although it says, you know, getting through and beyond the grief of widowhood, I don't care who it is. It could be, I really think, it could be a sibling or a parent or a child, God forbid. But I think it would help anybody because there's so much in it that I think goes across all of that. It's great guide to help you through the process of being, you know, of going through widowhood, but I think there's so much that can be learned and be helpful. So you've you've touched on more than just that and and I give you so much credit for that. It's it's a wonderful thing that you've done and as I said, you know, bravo to you for being able to do it. It uh it's a great book and thank you so much for sharing your time with all of us. It has been a real pleasure having you on the show tonight, Carol. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Uh, for everyone on on the line tonight, you know, you need to spread the word. If you enjoy what you hear on the show, share it with your friends. Send the link to the show so they can be made aware of all the wonderful things that are offered on this show. We offer fun things. We offer educational things. And there's so much that can be learned just by listening to these different podcasts that become immediately available as soon as we go off the air. So please be sure to pass the word. 
On behalf of everyone here at Energy Awareness Radio, I'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in this evening. My name is T. Love, and I hope you'll be back next Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for another great show. For more information about me, please visit my website, quantumwellness.org. That's quantumwellness.org. You'll find an archive list of past shows, the lineup for upcoming shows, as well as information about other upcoming events I'll be hosting throughout the year, and there are a lot this year. So I'm busy, too. <laughs> Don't forget to follow me on Twitter. Twitter at NRG Aware Radio. That's at NRG Aware Radio. I am your host, T Love, here at Energy Awareness Radio, intending you and yours a most wonderful week. Remember, living from your heart is quite easy. You need only give thanks to do so. Take care and stay well.